Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, this next session is one that I'm really excited about. It's called Discipline with a Purpose. But before we get into discipline itself, I think it's good to back up a step and look at some of the, um, look at the big picture of parenting. And to do that, I want to take a look at different parenting styles. And I want to share with you just four styles. There are probably more, but these are real general descriptions. And so if you have your notes there, um, the very first one, you know what, before we begin, I want to pray. And I want to say, welcome to Lewis, glad he's here. (laughs) He was working this morning, but he's here now. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for creating family. Lord, thank you that your original design is good. And I pray that you would restore families in our church and on Guam and beyond. So Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can in transforming us on the inside, transforming our thinking and making us the people, making us the parents that you desire us to be. I pray, God, that you would take what we have as we give it to you, and we ask you to bless it, and that you would cause it to grow and to multiply, and to, Lord, restore our destinies. Lord, restore generations that follow after us as we deal with undoing the work of the enemy in our own lives. God, we trust and look forward to what you will do as you plant new seeds in our hearts and they grow. And so, God, thank you for restoring hope. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, as I started to mention earlier, uh, we want to step back a bit and look at the broader picture of parenting and look at some parenting styles before we actually get into the topic of discipline. So, one of the first parenting styles we want to look at is the authoritarian parent. That's your first fill-in-the-blank, the authoritarian parent. These are those who have authority, but they misuse it. We'll talk about that in more detail in a moment. We're just going to go through the different styles first. The next one is the authoritative parent. Different from authoritarian, the authoritative parent has authority, and they use it appropriately. So both of these are focusing on authority. One is good, one is bad. We've all seen examples of abuses of authority, and today we want to take, in fact, when we get into the topic of discipline itself, it's all about the proper use of authority. And we'll talk more about that. Another parenting style is the uninvolved parent. This is the absent parent. And we've seen examples of that just in our community as we look around. And then fourthly is the indulgent parent, permissive and non-directive. Permissive and non-directive is the indulgent parent. So these are a couple of, these are four different parenting styles, and we're going to look at the effects of each one. Let's take them one by one. First, we'll look at the authoritarian parent. There are four types of authoritarian parents, four types of abuses, really. One is, and we often don't think of it this way, but one is neglect. The, the, the trauma that can arise out of an unmet need is just as wounding as physical abuse. So for somebody not to be welcomed, to not to be heard, 
not to be loved, not to be comforted, um, not to be encouraged, that can be just as damaging as an abusive spanking. So neglect. And then there are the others which we more commonly associate with authoritarian parenting styles, and that's physical, verbal, and emotional abuse. Physical, verbal, and emotional abuse. Along with an abusive parenting style, and we talked about this earlier, is no choices are allowed. Remember earlier we said it's important to allow our children to say no. Not to entertain rebellion, but to entertain choice. We want to honor their choices. If they prefer to wear the red shirt and not the blue shirt, that's not a sin, it's just a preference. And we're honoring choices. And then we honor their personhood, their desires. But in an authoritarian parenting style, no choices whatsoever are allowed. You know, I tell you, um, I want you to uh, put on your shoes, and I point at those shoes, and no, I want to wear the other shoes. No, no child of mine will ever tell me, no, put on those shoes now. And so that kind of response doesn't allow choice. And so uh, what it results in is passive children. They learn to be conformist. They don't have a voice. They don't feel empowered. And so that's a result of the authoritarian parenting style. The outcomes for the children are these. Uh, They perform moderately in school. Because choice has not been honored, they don't really learn to take self-initiative. They don't really learn to honor their own heart and their desires. They end up wanting to please others and to conform. And that kind of motivation is never as good as when it comes from your heart. Doing it for somebody else oftentimes can result in resentment. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. But, you know, I've, in my past life when I was a workaholic, I would do lots of things for other people and get mad at myself. Why am I doing all of this? I don't really want to do it. But I wanted to please people, and so I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. Also, another outcome is the children are uninvo- uh, the parent is uninvolved in problem behavior. They developed poor social skills, and there are higher levels of depression. So imagine what I just said earlier. You're doing things for other people, but you don't really want to do it. You get upset. You can't express it outwardly because you're in an authoritarian environment, so you just kind of turn your anger inward, and that results in depression. So those are outcomes for the child. Now we want to turn a corner, and we want to look at... um, a healthy use of authority, and that is the the authoritative parent. And so they have balance. They're not intrusive, and yet they're not restrictive. So an example might be, um, when I knock on my child's, on my daughter's bedroom door, can I come in? As opposed to busting in and just intruding. You know, I've seen, I've heard of some households where they were not allowed to lock the door, even if they were in the bathroom. And if they were, it was a problem. Or if they did, it was a problem. So you see there's, there's a lot of suppression that happens in the authoritarian style. But in authoritative, there's balance between not being intrusive, yet not being restrictive. In the authoritative parent's uh, style, they're supportive versus punitive. We talked a lot about ongoing support in the previous session. Punitive means there's punishment. There's threatening. There's 
verbal abuse, can be physical abuse, as opposed to a supportive environment. The authoritative parent teaches responsibility, also teach self-control, and all of these qualities result in socially healthy children. So that's the authoritative parent outcomes for the children. Are these a lively and happy disposition, self-confident? They're well-developed in their emotional regulation. You know, if you're in an authoritarian-style home and the child is developing anger over time, they become like a volcano, and eventually at some point, oftentimes you see it in adolescence, they just blow up. Boom! You know, some conflict happens, it was the last straw, and the volcano erupts because it hasn't been an environment where their heart can be heard, where they're free to express themselves, where they can say no. And so all of this tension is just building and building. And so there can be a lack of emotional regulation. And uh, I should say a, a delay in developed social skills. I'm sorry, um, developed social skills and with the authoritative parent, less rigid about gender traits. So for example, sensitivity in boys and independence in girls. So in other words, because choice is honored and there's freedom, there's also a recognition of the temperament of each child. So you might have a male who's very creative and uh, maybe he's very sensitive. And in an authoritative home, he'll be allowed to be himself. On the other hand, you could have a girl who's very independent, very strong, and her personality type can also be honored in an authoritative home. I'm breezing through these pretty quickly because I wanna get to uh, the discipline part, which um, I understand is a big need <laughs> in many homes, and I wanna take a lot of time to focus on that, but we just wanna take a look at, uh, real quick, a sketch of the different parenting styles. So the uninvolved parent, their form of discipline, there's no response. There's no demand, and they ignore problem behavior. And so very hands-off, very lenient, just allowing whatever. I remember I was a counselor down at Pace, and I had a student in my office, and he had left home for three days. And I said, what happened when you came back? He said, they just acted like, okay, there you are, no big deal. Nothing said, nothing done. I was like, gone for three days. Didn't call the police, no missing persons, no searching. Just, well, he's wherever. We don't know what he did. So that, that's an extreme example of having no responses, no demands, just ignoring problem behavior. Could walk in and out as he pleased. That kind of student needed an environment where there was lots of structure, lots of discipline. And in that kind of environment, oftentimes there is rejecting and neglecting. Both of those can go on simultaneously. So all of this is a picture of the uninvolved parent. The outcomes for the child is they perform poorly, socially, academically, uh, even physically. And lastly, we have the indulgent parent. And in that home, there's no order, there's no clarity, and no standards. 
And so sometimes parents feel like, well, you know, I want to give my, fi- my child freedom to choose. I don't want to be restrictive. I don't want to be authoritarian. Maybe I had a bad experience growing up with an authoritarian parent, and I had a knee-jerk reaction, said I'll never be like mom and dad, went to the other extreme, and now there's imbalance the other way. And I'm just, I'm just not going to exercise authority whatsoever. And so in that environment, there's permissiveness, non-directive, non-traditional, and lenient. So all of those are characteristics of the indulgent parent. So in this situation, the outcomes for the child, uh, they're more likely to be involved with problem behaviors. Academic performance is lower. There's poor social skills. They might be involved in bullying or being arrogant and lower levels of depression. Uh, by the way, that's an interesting observation. Lower levels of depression sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Well, imagine if you're in a home where you can just play and do whatever you want. I can stay up all night and play video games. I can come home after midnight, no consequence. I'd be a, I'd be a happy teenager, wouldn't you? <laughs> but the problem with it is it's temporary. It's short-lived. They're going to crash and burn later because of some of the habits and the characteristics that are being developed. Just by a show of hands, how many of you felt like you grew up in a home where the parenting style was indulgent? How many authoritarian? A few hands. Anybody find an authoritative home where you thought authority was handled with balance? Okay. Very good. Um, Anybody had kind of uh, the absent parenting style? Okay, a couple. All right. So it's important to um, keep in mind our, our experience. Uh, that's something that's very real that influences us. Something else to be aware of is not only your environment, but also your personality. Uh, what kind of person are you? Anybody ever heard of the DISC personality inventory? DISC personality inventory measures two things. It measures your perception of yourself and your perception of your environment. And then each of those are broken down into two categories. You either see yourself as having power or no power. Or you see, and then you see your environment two ways, either your environment as friendly or unfriendly, safe or unsafe. And then there are combinations between yourself and your surroundings. So for example, if you have somebody who feels they have power, but they see their environment as unsafe, then they feel they need to be in conflict and to overcome their environment because they have the ability to do it, but it's not a friendly place. So that kind of combination results in the authoritarian parenting style. On the other hand, let's say I view myself as having authority, I have power, but I view my environment as friendly. It's a safe place. Now, I don't feel like I have to use my authority, but I can win people. And that person tends to have the authoritative parenting style. They're more balanced. They respect people's choices. They feel they can win them over. They tend to be winsome people. And so they have more of a balanced and authoritative style. If I feel I don't have any power, and I feel like my environment is not friendly, then I won't engage it. I don't have the ability to influence my environment. It's not a safe place, so I'll just kind of stay away. And so that's the absent parenting style. It's like, I don't want to deal with the problems. I'm afraid of conflict. I don't know what's going to happen if we get into a conflict. It may be a bad situation, so let's just kind of ignore it, sweep it under the rug. 
And then the other type is the person who has no power, but they view the world around them as friendly. It's a safe place. And so for them, they're like, um, they're like the Labrador, just a happy dog running around, having a great time, partying. So that's the indulgent parenting lifestyle, right? No power, but the world's a great place. Let's have fun. Let's party and, and do it up. And so these, the point of all of this is where we've come from and how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us can influence how we behave as parents. And it's important for us to be aware of those factors because really only one of them is biblical. The only one that's biblical is the one where in Genesis, God gave, man authority, gave mankind authority over the earth, that he was to rule and have dominion. He shared his authority with mankind. And so the perspective is we do have authority. And he's invited us to have dominion over the surroundings, over the environment. And now the other part is the perception about the world. You know, we may have grown up in uh, maybe in an environment that wasn't very redeemed, let me put it that way. Maybe there was a lot of stress, a lot of difficulty that we experienced, we might perceive the world as unfriendly. And you could be totally correct in your perception. However, when you become a Christian, God transfers you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that in God's kingdom, under his rule and reign, you have his favor, you have his forgiveness, and you have his blessing. And so now the environment in God's, under God's umbrella is a friendly place. This is a place where it's safe, a place where you can grow, a place where you can explore. And so the, the, the perspective in God's kingdom is you have authority and the world is not a dangerous place. I mean, there will be battles and sometimes we have to engage and obey and uh, deal with those things. But in the end, you win. And so in the end, it is favorable, and God is on your side. And so keep that in mind as we deal with parenting styles. There is a place that God is moving us to, to be in his kingdom and to represent his heart. Amen? Okay. So having said that, we now want to move into this. My favorite topic is discipline. And so the very first question, if you want to turn to your notes there, is why discipline? Now, some parents might respond by saying, well, doesn't discipline teach our children to hit? Doesn't spanking teach our children to hit? Because there's a lot of philosophies out there about discipline. And I've heard this one many times. Oh, no, we don't hit our kids because we don't want to teach them violence. Now, that's a very real concern. And if done inappropriately, if you have an authoritarian parenting style, Yes, it could result in teaching our kids to hit. But if done properly, it will teach your kids how to respect authority and how to respect others. And so that's a legitimate concern. The other thing is, um, you know, if I spank my child, I don't want them to feel like I don't love them. I don't want them to think I'm a mean person. And uh, for some of us who... Uh, have experienced some bad examples in the area of discipline. It may be hard to change our frame of reference, but I want us to look to not our parents or whatever role model or example that we have, but I want us to look to God in our model of discipline. 
And so we're going to take a look at a passage in the Bible. One of my favorite passages is in Hebrews 12. And this talks about why God disciplines us. Hebrews 12 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard, whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you, as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his child at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And that was the basis of discipline in our home. When I would have to discipline my kids, and we'll talk about when is the right time to do that, I would explain to them that the reason I'm doing this is because I love you. If I didn't, I wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter, and I wouldn't address it. But because I care about you, I can't let you develop in a way that's going to be harmful to you in the future. And so they understood my heart. And then I demonstrated it in action later, and that's actually part of how to discipline. And I'll cover that when we get there. But I want to lay the foundation of what is the motivation. Why do we go there to begin with? It's because of our love for our kids. Now, before we get into discipline itself, I want to be sensitive to the fact that uh, there may be, I don't know, but there may be some of us in this room who were traumatized by abuse when we were younger. And just talking about discipline, sometimes the word can conjure up feelings that remind us of the trauma we went through. And I want to be sensitive to that, and I want to pray in a moment that the Lord will cover that and, and work in our hearts as we go through this, because this topic can be very sensitive to some people. Because of the abuse, there's no way in our mind we could possibly conceive that this could be a good thing. How? because of our experience. And so if you would just be open to letting God renew your thinking and help you to see how God could use this uh, if done with the right motive and with the right method. We'll talk about both of those. So having said that, let's just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for each person here. And Lord, if there are hurts that remain unhealed. Lord, if this topic surfaces some of those feelings, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and be with us during this time. And God, I ask that you would bring comfort in those places where there's pain. Lord, I ask that you would bring peace where there was, has been unrest and turmoil. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and just soak up and begin to remove the traumatic effect, the feelings that came from 
very, very hurtful experiences. Holy Spirit, come, and I ask that you would bring healing even now where it's needed. God, just meet us in our hearts. Father, I thank you for your presence. Lord, I ask that your spirit would guide our hearts and minds to navigate our way through the fields of our lives. Father, help us find you, help us keep our eyes on you, and to follow you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing I want to say about this passage. It says discipline is never, never fun. It's painful. And I've been disciplined by the Lord. But the assurance, the consolation is that it's actually evidence that you are his child. If another child is doing something, I may not bother with them. But if it's my child, I'll address it. And the fact that I care, the fact that I'm concerned, is because of our relationship. And so if you go through the discipline of the Lord, it's, it's never pleasant. And it may last for a short while, it may last for a long time, just depending on God's individualized curriculum for you. But just be assured that it's because you are his child and he loves you that he's developing your character. Amen? Amen. So having said that, the very first question was, why discipline? And so there is a, a key to this in Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I was sitting in the doctor's clinic over by the hospital many years ago. Little Kid, little boy, maybe two, three years old, was walking around in the hallway, and he was opening doors where patients and doctors were in their office spaces. And the mother went to go hold him to stop him. And as she picked him up and she was holding him in her chest, they were face to face, and he took his fist, and he was just going, when he was hitting her as hard as he could. And she's a grown adult, and she was just, she was just taking it as she walked down the hallway. Now, she could have slammed him, if she wanted to, but a mother's not going to do that. But just imagine a little three-year-old, less than, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds, thinking he could take on a grown adult. Is that foolish or what? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and they will do stupid things. (laughs) Having no awareness, (laughs) you know, it reminds me of this t-shirt I saw somebody wearing, confidence. And it had the definition. That feeling you have just before you become fully aware of the situation. (laughs) You know, and little kids are foolish. They They have no idea what the situation really is. And so the reason we discipline is to drive out foolishness. There's something in the heart of a child that God wants to remove, and that's foolishness. And Proverbs has a lot to say about the fool. It says the rod of correction will drive it far from him. We're going to talk about what is the rod. It's important that we use the rod, and we'll talk about how to do that a little, in a little bit. 
Because if we don't drive out foolishness from our children, it will remain. And if we don't remove it, somebody else will have to do it. They may get to public school, and then it's the school aide, or the teacher, or the principal, or go down to PACE, Planned Alternative Center for Education, where they put all the troubled kids, or maybe DYA, and worse yet, if it never happens there, and they escalate even on to prison, somebody else will have to provide the discipline if we don't do it. So having said that, Romans 13 says, duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen and you'll get on just fine. The government working to your advantage. But if you are breaking the rules right and left, watch out. The police are not there just to be admired in their uniforms. God also has an interest in keeping order, and he uses them to do it. And so we don't want our children to have to get to a place where somebody like a police officer has to finally exercise their authority to drive out foolishness from their heart. It's our role as parents to accomplish that. So having said that, here are two reasons that we discipline. We discipline to correct and to protect. To correct and to protect. The correction will result in protection. They're not going to do foolish things later on in, out there in the world in life if we provide the correction. So all of that is to address the question, why discipline? The next question, another W, is when to discipline. Terry alluded to this earlier, and that is it has to do something with first-time obedience. First-time obedience. Let me tell you the story of little Johnny. Little Johnny is about eight years old, and it's getting time for bed, and he's been playing around in his room, and mom yells down the hallway and says, Johnny, time to get ready for bed. Now, Johnny's smart. He knows, based on mom's tone of voice, that he has about 20 minutes. So 10 minutes later, Johnny, are you getting ready for bed? Now, Johnny knows, based on that tone of voice, he has about 10 minutes. Later on, she shows up at the door. She goes, Johnny, what are you doing? I told you, get ready for bed. Now he knows he's got about five minutes. He's still playing around in the room. She comes back to the door. She goes, young man, you better get ready now. Now he knows he's got about one minute. She, she turns around. She looks. He's not budging. She goes, that's it, young man. I've had it. And she starts walking across the room. And all of a sudden, Johnny jumps up, and he goes, and he brushes his teeth, and he puts on his pajamas, and he gets in bed. Now, if you were a sociology student, and you were to evaluate that scenario, it would be easy to conclude that the reason Johnny began to move is because mom got mad. Her voice started to escalate, and she was angry. And that would be an easy conclusion to come to. But the truth is, it wasn't because of mom's anger. The reason Johnny moved is because mom was about to take action. So an example of action done appropriately is, let's say we've got a typhoon on Guam, traffic lights are out, the police are uh, directing traffic at an intersection, 
and he wants to stop traffic, and he goes, and all the cars stop. Wow, powerful. Now, what if a car decides to go? Is the police officer going to sit there and go, why are they keep going? They don't listen to me. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to step in front of you. I told you to stop. Get out of your car. I want to see your driver's license now. Pull over. Now, that police officer is not going to wait till the second, third, fourth time, 20-minute, 10-minute warning, 5-minute warning, 1-minute warning. The first time you don't do what he says, you get a consequence. And so here's the principle. You move discipline, you move the point of action all the way up to the front of the process. Oftentimes we wait until tensions have escalated, tones of voice have escalated, you know, anger is escalating before we're going to finally do something. And so we want to introduce the idea of first-time obedience. And the idea is that when mom says, go put your toy in the toy box, she doesn't mean in 20 minutes. She means put your toy in the toy box now. Now, if, if we don't insist on first-time obedience, what we're actually teaching our children is you don't have to obey the first time. You don't have to obey the second time. You don't have to obey the third time. Maybe the fourth if mom's about to take action now. And so by not having first-time obedience, we actually teach our kids disobedience. And so I've seen kids out on the playground. The bell rings, everybody goes to class, but that one little boy, he's still out there playing on the swings. What are you doing out here? The bell rang. Yeah, I know. He hasn't learned it. And so first-time obedience is important if we want to teach our kids how to get along well in life. Having said that, I want to point out the difference between childishness and rebellion. If you're at the dinner table and your child accidentally knocks over a glass of milk, you know, we don't punish children for accidents. I remember we had life group in our house. We were living in a house that had white carpet. And the house was full. It was a big life group. And one of the kids spilled red fruit punch on the carpet. And somebody got on Google. The emergency response team kicked into action. They got some recipe for dissolving red fruit punch on white carpet. I tell you, all the adults were there. We just acted on that. In 20 minutes, it was gone. And we had to mix vinegar with something and apply it, and it, it worked. But we didn't, we didn't scold the child. You stupid. What did, what, did, can't you see this is a white carpet? What are you doing? You know, we didn't do any of that. Said, That's okay. We got it. We got it. You know, we helped them out. On the other hand, if it's not an accident, if it's not childishness, but it's rebellion, in our home, the rule was rebellion was an automatic spanking. Automatic. Now, rebellion sometimes doesn't have to be violent. They don't have to take their shoe and throw it through the window. Sometimes it could be, uh, mom wants you to go brush your teeth now, and the little child is sitting in his seat, and he just goes, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, he's saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And that's rebellion. And whenever you see rebellion, um, rebellion is a bad thing. 
in God's eyes. In the Old Testament, it actually equates rebellion with witchcraft. It's, it's from the dark side, let me put it that way. And so rebellion has to be addressed. Whenever you see rebellion, I would say, uh, this is the place where you now have to exercise the steps I'm going to talk about regarding discipline. So how do you, <coughs> how do you address rebellion? How do you discipline? And that's where we come back to the rod. What is the rod? In the Old Testament, um, the rod was um, a switch and, uh, or a twig, a branch. Uh, we don't often use that as an implement in today's world. Oftentimes we have other things that we use for discipline. What is one of the most common things we use for discipline? I heard belt, ruler, slipper. There's something even more common. Ah, she said it, hands. Here it is, hands. That's the most common tool we use. <laughs> and I want to encourage us not to use our hand because the hand is supposed to be a symbol of, of provision and protection. Our hands are to be a symbol of comfort. Our hands are to be a symbol of love that are used to bless and to protect and to express nurture to our kids. So you don't want your hands to be the bad guy. Don't use your hand. But I heard some other examples. I brought them with us. I heard, I heard somebody say slipper. So we have a slipper here. <laughs> this is my jewelry. Okay. And oftentimes I've heard parents say, well, you know, I tried, I tried spanking my kids, but it doesn't work. I'm like, well, how are you spanking your kids? I mean, have you ever tried this on a pamper? <laughs> it's nothing. <laughs> Yeah, no wonder they, it didn't work. It doesn't work. Okay, so there's some things about this, and I'll talk about what, why the rod works better than this, but this is highly ineffective. Slipper is one. Oh, I remember once we were babysitting my in-law's kids, and uh, Terry was t directing the oldest one, I think Elijah. She said, Elijah, don't do that, and he did it anyway. And Terry said, Elijah, do you want a spanking? And Elijah said, you have a spoon? Because in their home, it's the spoon. <laughs> Elijah, you want a spanking? He goes, you have a spoon? <laughs> so this is another uh, implement. Um, we're going to ratchet it up a little. I heard somebody say belt. So this is a very common tool. And uh, I've actually experienced this end of the belt before. That's no fun. That can happen sometimes in a moment of anger and bodies are moving and flying around and all of that kind of stuff. So that's another one. Um, this one I hated when I was a kid. You could hear this whistle in the wind before it got you. And uh, that, that happens. So the problem, with, the problem with these is when we discipline some people say, well, you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to break a child's spirit. That's true. We don't want to break anything. And not physically, not spiritually. And the problem with this is it's too rigid. And it can actually break something when you use it. The problem with something like this is it's too flimsy. You don't really have control. You don't really know how fast it's going to be, especially when it kind of wraps around, you know, and then lands. I mean... 
that little whiplash effect can be like five times more than what you intended. So this is not a thing for good control either. Same thing with the belt. However, the rod in the Bible, as I mentioned, was a switch or a twig. And so just during the break time, I went outside, out the door, and I got one of these. And the nice thing about the rod is it's round. And, um, and it's soft, it's supple. And so it's got a little bit of firmness to it, but it's not rigid. And it's designed, the whole, the whole thing that makes discipline work is the pain. The pain is the deterrent. Pain speaks. But you don't want to be too painful, because then you become abusive. There's a balance between authoritarian and authoritative. And authoritative is authority used with balance. And so we want something that will provide that. God is all wise. He's revealed what's the best tool in the Bible. And so what you can do is you can go outside and you can get one of these. And you just practice on your hand. It doesn't take a whole lot. Just, just go like that. And you're like, ouch, ouch. And you know just exactly how hard to, to go like that. It's not too hard. And <clears throat> the nice thing about this is it helps in the process of discipline. So that's the next fill in the blank, the process. And I want to talk about how the rod helps you with the process. The first step in the process is remain calm. And one of the ways you can do that is by using the timeout. So the timeout is this. If they do something that's rebellious, if they're five years old, they get five minutes timeout. If they're three years old, three, three minutes timeout. And I tell you, when you're a five-year-old, and you're in your room for five minutes because you're going to get a spanking, it feels like forever. You are sweating bullets. Now, there's a purpose for that. I'm going to come back to it in a moment. But the other thing I want to focus on for, the, for right now is one of the ways that will help you do the timeout is if you have to go outside and get one of these, you're not going to do some kind of irrational discipline on the fly. I, mean, I don't know if any of you ever experienced that in your home. Like, bam, you're like, whoa, what was that? What happened? I don't even know why that was. Okay, but if you say, go to your room for five minutes, I want you to think about what you did and why you're going to get a spanking, the whole purpose is for them to learn a lesson. If they don't learn the lesson, it's not a discipline that God can honor. God doesn't discipline us out of the blue for nothing. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to develop our character. He wants us to learn something. And our discipline needs to be in sync with God's. And so you got to make sure they're learning the lesson. So give them time just to let that resonate in their heart. Meanwhile, you have to go outside and get one of these. And if you haven't practiced first-time discipline or first-time obedience real good, chances are you're, 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 you're flaring up because you didn't do the action up front. It escalated for a while, and now we're disciplining. And, you know, I'm trying to get control of my feelings. And so go outside, take a deep breath. Okay, Lord, help me to do this. Help me represent your heart in the right way so that it's a discipline that you can honor that will actually, in the long run, be a blessing to my child. So I go outside, I find a branch. By the time you find it, you come inside and you start peeling off the leaves. Now you've had time. This is better than counting to 10, okay? This, is, this, this might even be therapeutic to you, okay? <laughs> Go out there in nature, be with God, pray a little bit, talk about it. Lord, help me, please. Lord, help my child. <laughs> I hate doing this, okay? So then you come back into the room. 
So the first step is remain calm. The next one, the next R is reconsider. A reconsider means you give them a chance to rebut, meaning give them a chance to explain themselves because I as a parent could have misunderstood the situation. And I have done that several times. I'd get to the point where we did the timeout, remain calm, go out, the, go out and get the branch, come back in. Do you know why you're going to get a spanking? Okay, I want to give you a chance to tell me what happened. What was your side of the story? And I have found on a couple occasions I was wrong. I really was. After I gave them time to explain, because you know how it is sometimes when in the heat of the moment, they start, dad, dad, but, but, be quiet, go to your room. And we didn't even have a chance to have a conversation. But if this is one of the steps, we sit down, we're on the bed, Okay, now why did you do that to your sister? Well, because she, da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, that's what happened? Okay, no spanking. But you got to give them a chance to talk, to defend themselves. That's actually part of our justice system, our judicial system here in the U.S. You, you have the right to an attorney. <laughs> okay, let them represent themselves. <laughs> so that's the next one is reconsider. The other R in the process then is the rod. So if it becomes clear, no, that was rebellion, you need a spanking. So the way it worked in our home was you had to lay down on the bed and you had to put your hands up. And you, you couldn't do this number like, okay? No, no catching the rod on its way down. <laughs> All right, no padding your pants with magazines and newspapers. My kids actually did that. <laughs> Hey, I got five minutes, man. I can prepare. <laughs> okay, so you got you to lay there and take the spanking. If you take the spanking well, you only get one. If you resist, if you try to wrestle, if you try not to do it, then you're going to get one more. And so, you know, <laughs> they got their hands up. Is, is it now? You know, and then, <laughs> and you've practiced, so you know exactly how hard and the pain is the deterrent. The thing about the rod is it may leave a little red mark like you can see on my hand, but that will go away after just a few minutes. Doesn't do any permanent damage, but it does provide the deterrent, which is pain. And of course, they're crying at that moment. And so then the next step after the rod is recover. And so that's where your hands come into play. I pick them up and I hold them and they're crying. <laughs> You know, and after about a minute of that, after a while, you hear that last sigh, and then they're just calm, peace. Just holding them, stroking their back. The reason I did that is because I love you. And then after they've recovered, then the next step is to restore. And so they feel like they've had a falling out with you as a parent. They feel punished. They feel bad about what they did. But now you want to rebuild their self-esteem. You want to build their character. And so I say, do you know why Daddy spanked you? The reason I do that is because I love you, and I can't let you talk to Mom like that. Now, are you ready to do what Mommy said? Yes. Yes. Okay, go pick up your shoes and go put it away instead of throwing it across the room like you did. And so they go pick up their shoes, they put it to where it goes, and then you come back and you reward them. Good girl, that's great, you know? And just affirm them and encourage them and hug them. You did that really well. Yeah, next time, just do it just like that for mommy, okay? And so 
all of these. Um, oh, and then the last one is reward. So we want to restore their heart. Then you want to reward them and be creative in that. Do something. Well, you can go outside and play now. Have fun. And, um, and so you want them to feel good at the end, but you also want it to be a process where they had a chance to learn the lesson. Now, if you were to carry out all those steps, it would take easily 20 minutes. And you have to be committed to disciplining your children in order to go through that process. Because sometimes we'd be in the morning rush. Where's the shoes? Find, where's the left shoe? Where's the right shoe? Did you get your lunch pail? And get in the car. We're running late. And you know the whole morning rush thing. And something happens in the car, in the back seat, just as I'm pulling out of the parking lot at the house. I'm like, okay, everybody back in the house, get on the phone. I'm going to be late for work. And we go in and we go through the process. And so it, it takes a commitment to be able to deal with the discipline and if you ignore it, your kids don't really learn the lesson. I remember my dad would make deals with us. It was inconvenient to discipline. He said, okay, you owe me one next time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't, really, I didn't really learn a lesson from that. I, my kids still tell me, Dad, you like to cut in line. I never did learn my lesson. <laughs> my dad was always kind of lenient or uninvolved sometimes, and sometimes a little too strong. But, you know, these kinds of imbalances happen when, when we don't have discipline in a proper way. Amen.